Welcome to episode 17 of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Kukaji and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Well, about a month ago, I teased out the news that I was writing a new book for the purpose of providing a biblical, intellectual defense of liberty that has been neglected, if not intentionally abandoned, by political and business leaders, including among them, I am sorry to say, professing Christians who, for various reasons, are no longer willing or able to articulate a Christian defense of liberty. Well, I've now finished this little book, and it has gone to print, although with supply chain issues limiting the availability of certain kinds of paper, there have been a few delays. The title of my new book is An Apologetic for Liberty, and as soon as we receive delivery of the first batch of inventory— I will let you know where and how you can get a copy. For now, let me give you a little preview. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul writes, If you can gain your freedom, do so. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Over the past couple of years, we have witnessed an alarming trend among the people of God, following the opinions of the world, demanding that we set aside or at least tamp down our zeal for liberty. Even among the less strident, an undercurrent of suspicion animates what we might call the opinionators, who suggest that we justify to them our desires for freedom, as if the concept of liberty is somehow unbecoming of a Christian. Now, most accusations against liberty hinge on misrepresentations of it, which is to say that the objections to the cause of liberty are mostly straw men. Which gives me the occasion to open my briefcase to release into the studio our little friend, Mr. Straw Man, who's made entirely of striped plastic drinking straws. How you doing, my little friend? (coughs) So Roger has a cough. I've had those before. Let me ask my icebergs, even before their official introduction, a few preliminary questions today. So what is the significance of Mr. Straw Man? Don't all answer at once. What does he represent? Straw man argument? Yeah, a false Ar- argument. <laughs> false arguments. Okay. By the way, notice that I didn't ask, for what does he stand? Right? Why didn't I say, for what does the straw man stand? Why did I choose vocabulary, in other words, of representation, saying, what does he represent, instead of, what does he stand for? Because he doesn't stand for anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, watch him. Right? For those in our listening audience, I'm setting up this little man of drinking straws, and he tips right over. He doesn't stand for every, for anything, right? As you can imagine, because he's made what? Not of sinews, like real people, but because he's made of plastic drinking straws. And he has no will of his own, so he's very easy to knock down, unlike a real man. So, on our show, Mr. Straw Man has one purpose. What is that? Go back to what you said a few minutes ago. <laughs> to knock down arguments. 
Well, his purpose is to be representative of the false, false arguments that we knocked down. That we, we knocked down. In fact, I'll even let you guys knock over some of these false arguments today. By the way, not bad arguments, but false arguments. What's the difference? They don't have any backing to them. The false arguments don't. Yeah, our false arguments are arguments that the person never made in the first place. Okay, that's. I think, Roger, that's a better one, not to undercut Winnie. But a bad argument could be an argument that doesn't have support. <clears throat> a false argument is one that one side of an argument associates with his or her opponent in bad faith, knowing full well that the opponent has not actually made such an argument or does not actually believe the thing for which he's accused, all in order to give the impression of victory for the dishonest. In other words, to give the appearance of winning an argument when one has no answers for one's actual positions, the opposition fabricates, right, or it greatly exaggerates a position never adopted by the other side in order to quickly dismiss or knock it down like a straw man. And he just went flying off the table. <laughs> Winnie, you want to pick that up for us, please? So as it concerns the cause of liberty then, liberty has been abandoned of late not because liberty's defense is unworthy unwarranted or untenable, but rather because the definitions of liberty advanced by our opponents are mere straw men, which they have built for the sole purpose of knocking them down. <laughs> <laughs> knocking them down. Told him to get off his high horse. Somebody somebody want to knock him down one more time before we go to break? Winnie? Oh, oh, he fell off of Winnie's sign. <laughs> See, this straw man is so bad, he's such a false argument that he can't even stand up for the purpose of knocking him down. We could play, like, football with him. Like, hold up the little goalpost at the end. <laughs> yes. yeah. Diagonal. All right. When we return, our icebergs will examine the biblical foundations for liberty and how to defend it. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Kukichi, and I am your host, and I have a piece of candy in my mouth. Hogan's here laughing, but someone was gracious enough to leave for us a bag of, must be old Christmas candy from a couple months ago, Hercules candy, hot stuff, hard candy. And I was told by someone that the, um, the green candy with the white stripes was the hottest, but I didn't find it actually to be that uh, that much on fire. So I think we might give Roger a piece to see if it helps him with his cough. Anyway, today, before we enter the <laughs> offices of hypothesis, let me first introduce our guests. Uh, welcome back, someone. Hogan. Hogan is back on a quick little college break. And Winnie. Winnie. And Roger. Roger with a cough. That's right. Let me also establish the framework before we enter our office. Against the straw man... The voices that say we, especially the people of God, should not make such a fuss about the cause of liberty. Remember that my premise 
is that it is not only fitting and proper for a Christian to defend the cause of liberty. It is essential. Moreover, unless one's notion of liberty is rooted in a Christian worldview, it will be lost because the word of God is not merely one of many divergent paths to liberty. It is the necessary precondition to the intelligibility of liberty. If you would like to know more about why I am so confident about this, you can read all of the arguments in my new book, An Apologetic for Liberty, where I provide details and elaborate with great particularity. This, by the way, is why the church has always been the target. If the Bible can be dismissed, and if the people of God can be persuaded or deceived into believing that liberty can be set aside or sustained apart from Christ speaking through the scriptures, the enemy will have removed what even Thomas Jefferson knew was, quote, the only firm basis for securing our liberties, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. With that, we must now enter the Offices of Hypothesis. All right. Our hypothesis today is Christians place too much emphasis on liberty. And I'll repeat that. Christians place too much emphasis on liberty. True or false? And we'll use a little clock. I'm going to say false. Yeah, me too. False. Okay. Now, kind of a trick question, isn't it? So explain your answers. Um, Let's start with Hogan. No, Hogan gave me a look like he wasn't quite ready to explain his answer. (laughs) All right, Winnie or Roger, explain why you think it's a false hypothesis. Well, it really depends on who's asking it, too. It does depend. Some people would say... That I, as a Christian, place too much emphasis on liberty, whereas I would disagree. I would say Christians do not emphasize liberty enough. Now, does it help you get started? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It depends. Yeah, it depends who you're asking. Well, is there not an elephant in the room, though? Before you can launch into a defense of liberty and talk about whether we're placing too much emphasis on liberty or not enough, I think we need to challenge a premise from anyone who makes that demand on us or even asks that question. True? hmm Yeah. So to anyone who asks why we place such emphasis on liberty, I think the first thing we must do before we even get into a full-throated defense of liberty, its foundations and why it's important, is to ask some fundamental questions. So what are some fundamental questions that you would ask of a person who would say to you, you place too much or not enough emphasis on liberty? Well, the first question you should probably ask is what is too much liberty or not enough liberty? Like, and how do you get to decide that? All right. The second part is where I'm going, right? The first part is, is a secondary question. The second part of Hogan's answer is the most important. It's the fundamental. And that is on what or whose authority do you make claims on me without my consent? This is a fundamental question. It demands an answer. Who made everything and everyone? God. God. Who then are we to arrogate power to ourselves to subordinate another man created in God's image? Remember from that passage in 1 Corinthians 7 that I quoted at the beginning, you were bought at a price, do not become slaves of men. So if we move to Genesis 1, what does that tell us? God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. And move a little bit further into Genesis 1. How does God instruct man to be what? To be rulers over, uh, like, beast and 
animals and okay. stuff. Right before that, God tells man to be fruitful and to multiply, then to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky. By the way, I'm quoting from Genesis 1, 24 through 31. And over every living creature that moves on the ground, God gave us every seed-bearing plant and every tree that has fruit with seed in it for food. So beasts of the air, birds in the sky, creatures along the ground, and every green plant for food. What is conspicuously absent from that passage? Other people. Say it again. Other humans. Yeah. Nowhere does God grant permission or give directives to rule over or subdue another man right? Another person without his consent. If God created man to rule over other men without their consent, how could he, for example, punish Cain for murdering Abel? In episode 16, we discussed that the entirety of the Ten Commandments, as well as Jesus' summation of them in Matthew 22, is a call to worship and love God the Creator exclusively and above all, and out of that foundation to love your neighbor, a created being, as yourself, also a created being. And then we talked about how the commandments don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't covet. They all presuppose something. What is that? That we're not to have uh, power over other people. Well, as a preliminary point, though, they presuppose that everyone and everything belongs to whom? God. To God. As such, we are not to take or violate another's God-given privileges. And we must resist, if we truly love our neighbor, all aims by one set or one person, one other created being, seeking power over his neighbor, who's a co-equal created being, whether by stealing, destroying, coveting, lying about, or controlling what they did not create, and over which they have no authority, right? Men are created beings. They are stewards whose authority, being derived from the one who created them, is legitimate only to the extent it is exercised according to the original, unchanging, and absolute order established by God. So my question is, where then is there any room for one created image of God to subordinate another created image of God without his consent? There is none. There isn't. To love my neighbor as myself demands that I not steal his liberty, take his life, or covet his property. And as Jesus warned, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? We are co-equals in God's created order. Seeking power over another co-equal is a direct violation of the greatest and the second greatest commandment, which, by virtue of Jesus' explanation in Matthew, constitutes and covers all of the commandments. By the way, this is an important point. I'm going to read this note. This is actually a footnote from my book. In response to those who argue that, or who might argue that parental authority, the authority of church leaders and governments instituted by God, a la Romans 13, are instances of ruling over other men without their consent, it is important to distinguish between legitimate authority and raw power. If a man enters my home, kills me, rapes my wife, and declares himself to be head of the household, are my children obligated to obey the usurper as their father? Icebergs? No. 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 What if something similar happens in government? Are people bound to the decrees of a temporary master who steals power to rule over them? No. 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 The scriptures abound with examples of the necessity of disobeying illegitimate authority, including the prophets who were killed for their disobedience, the apostles, and Jesus our Lord who was crucified. Remember, crucifixion 
was a punishment for a political crime, right? He was, he was deemed to be doing something against the state. Otherwise, they would have stoned him. And he was crucified for testifying to the truth of the ultimate authority, that's God, over and above the power of the Roman state. Moreover, to our fellow believers who naively suggest that Paul's admonition to obey the governing authorities, a la Romans 13, requires somehow an unqualified obedience regardless of whether the authorities came into their position legitimately or govern with legitimate power, it must be emphasized that in America, we do not have a king. Remember, we addressed this in a prior episode. In America, so plainly described in our founding documents, the people are the governing authorities. Consequently, any American political figure who declares himself invested with power beyond that which was specifically vested in him by the governing authorities, that is, the people, as expressed through the governing documents, unlawfully emancipates himself from constitutional limits to his authority while acting in direct contravention of Scripture by disobeying the governing authorities, the people. So, when you encounter or if you encounter resistance to your interest in preserving liberty, the first thing you must recognize before you launch into your defense of liberty is that the very question of whether or to what extent we should be concerned with liberty is itself an attempt by Satan to usurp or to get his children to usurp the role of creator. Any attempt by one created being to subordinate another created being is rebellion against God's order, and the expectation that you set aside your liberty per the requests or demands of a co-equal created in the image of God is a particular manifestation of this rebellion. So, questions on that? Questions to the icebergs. Winnie wants to ask a question. No, I don't. Just thinking. Well, we can bring questions back in the next section. Having now established, though, as a matter of the created order, that we're not subservient to these claims and demands of co-equal image bearers, on a future episode, we're going to proceed to elaborate our apologetic for liberty. But uh, now we're going to cut out and come back with questions. And when we return, I hope to answer a couple of questions about this topic. This is, as you know, Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am your host. Remember to post your questions on Discord, or if we have our own questions, we kind of kick them around in this room. <laughs> but if you would like to call into the program for the purpose of participating, please remember to email your request to questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com. Okay, so this week, we actually decided to do something different with the questions. I'm going to turn the tables, especially since we have a guest Hogan back in the studio for a one quick visit from college. Um, Hogan, would you mind if I ask you a couple questions about college life? Hogan comes from a Christian family. I can disclose that about him. Um, upstanding parents and upstanding uh, Christian upbringing, and yet he's gone to a 
college that is a secular college. And um, as most people know, when you go to college, you don't get to select your roommate for the most part. Sometimes you get a little bit of – you can define the framework within which you'd like to be matched to your roommate. But for the most part, that choice is not ours. Hogan, why don't you um, – can you tell us a little bit about – without naming names – and without being too specific, some of the challenges you might have had in your first semester of college. I know you're now um, amidst your second semester, but um, talk about them for if, if you would. It was definitely really hard to get adjusted to college life when I first got there. It was just a completely different atmosphere than what I've been used to, especially, like you said, the secular college. So I'm not always surrounded by other Christians and people doing, you know, the same things that I do. It would be hard to stay in the room and study or whatever when everybody else would be out partying. It's been hard some nights, especially with different, like, uh, class schedules. You know, roommate would be coming in late, and I'd be trying to get to bed because I've got a class early. But he wouldn't, so he would sometimes just kind of ignore, like, me and just, like, kind of do his own thing. And that that was hard. We We kind of got that worked out. But just, like, trying to find a solid friend group there to surround myself with has been a struggle for sure. Have you found a church? Uh, I haven't found a church yet. I do go to a—it's at a church. It's for college students on Thursday nights. It's called One Church. That's another challenge for students. Um, I know it took me a while to find a good church when I was a freshman at Temple University back in 1985. But it's actually what led to— such a a growth in my in my walk with the Lord, a growth in my knowledge and understanding of Scripture. I went to a church, a very small church growing up in Titusville, Pennsylvania. And when I moved to Philadelphia, some friends invited me to 10th Presbyterian. I grew up Presbyterian, but a much different church. And 10th Presbyterian had a very um, storied history of being a strong, Bible-believing, conservative Um, church, and it really challenged my faith, first of all, because I was very quiet about my faith when I was growing up, and I was all of a sudden surrounded by people who were very open and articulate about what they believed, and I felt like, wow, I don't really know my Bible well enough. So at first, I almost ran from it because I'm like, "Eh, I don't want to be challenged like this. But by God's grace, he kept me going because uh, ultimately, the greatest blessing about being at 10th Presbyterian Church is that's where I met my wife who I've now been married to for more than 30 years. So church is a very good thing to get involved with (laughs) for for principal reasons, obviously, scripture and spiritual growth, but God also provides some other benefits. It looks like Winnie wants to say something, and I know that Winnie (laughs) (laughs) has a sister who is also in her freshman year, I believe, second semester, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, without disclosing more, has has she had any of those type of roommate challenges uh, or different social sphere, you know, conflict of social spheres at college that she's expressed to you? Uh, Thankfully, she has not. She has um, a few roommates and uh, some sweet mates as well. Um, And I think they all have pretty much the same schedule. They all wake up early and have early classes, so that's been a nice blessing. Um, And she does have a church that she attends regularly. So it, it is. it's really important. Oh, but she does go to a Christian college, so that makes it a lot easier to find. Okay, that's good. Although, as we know, um, and I could name examples but won't, there are many quote-unquote Christian colleges who don't uphold Christian principles. So even that is um, 
is a challenge. I, I noticed that when you were saying that, Winnie, and I'll go back to Hogan, then we'll close up here. Hogan shook his head no when you said uh, that your sister had similar schedules. And Hogan, is that not the case at, <laughs> with your roommate? <laughs> no, not at all. No, they're pretty much the opposite schedule. I, I have all my classes in the morning because I want to get them out of the way. And he kind of put his in the afternoon, so he's always up late and I'm always up early. And it's just, it's hard to deal with. I remember when I was a freshman again at Temple, uh, my roommate, and we ended up getting along great. But the first couple of months were quite a struggle because I was an early riser. I was disciplined. I had my classes mostly in the morning. And he was the opposite. He slept in late and stayed up late. And he also had a hard time uh, with his alarm. So I would be studying or reading scripture or just getting ready for my day. And his alarm would go off and he'd put his hand on the snooze alarm, turn it off. And he'd do this like 10 times. And sometimes he'd even fall asleep with his hand on the snooze button itself. I finally said, Mike, this, <laughs> this is not going to work. We've got to have an arrangement where even though we're different personalities, we have to be able to function. So it's really good for that reason, isn't it? It, it helps you mature and deal with conflict in a godly way. Anything else to add before we finish? Mm-mm. Hogan, thanks for being back with us. Thank you. Winnie, as always, mm-hmm. consistent female voice. <laughs> and uh, Hogan, by being here, you actually gave Penelope a break this week, which is great. And Roger, I hope you get better. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Cookagee, and you have been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists.